welcome to the People Experience Pulse podcast, your gateway to the new frontier of human experiences at work. On the PX Pulse, we're all about elevating experiences, fostering belonging, and building remarkable workplace cultures in a fast evolving world. Today, Vicky Fire Hudson and Jeff Bond sit down with Janine Lee, President and CEO of Philanthropy Southeast, for part two of their conversation. With over 25 years of experience in nonprofit and foundation leadership, Janine is a veteran strategist and grant maker dedicated to creating a more equitable South through philanthropy. In today's episode, Vicki, Jeff, and Janine explore inclusion, equity, and philanthropy Southeast's journey towards creating a culture of belonging. The recent name change to Philanthropy Southeast reflects a broader vision of diverse participation in philanthropic work. Janine shares insights into fostering this culture of belonging and equity with initiatives such as reviewing their holidays to ensure diverse beliefs are recognized and prioritizing mental health and work-life balance. We also learn how organizations can be proactive in supporting their stakeholders in their own journeys as Janine shares Philanthropy Southeast's own programs such as the Equity Learning Collaborative as well as developing a dashboard to measure equity progress without imposing a particular view. Stay tuned as Vicky and Jeff conclude this insightful conversation with Janine Lee on the People Experience Pulse. Are you looking to make your workplace more human? Check out my friends at Cool Leaf. What I love about Cool Leaf is that it helps leaders create connection, engagement, and recognition. You can celebrate team wins, reward colleagues, and have fun with your coworkers. You can build a culture of appreciation and feedback that boosts morale, retention, and performance. Listen to this clip from their podcast, The Great Retention, to hear how Cool Leaf transformed a company culture. We needed a way for people to connect, and there was people who would work together and talk to each other on the phone every day. Uh, who didn't even know them that well. And they had no way to appreciate them. What we liked about Cool Leaf was that there is that social element to it. Cool Leaf gave us an opportunity to allow our people to appreciate others that they worked with on a daily basis, but just never saw in person. Not only did it give managers a tool to recognize their people, but from a culture perspective, it allowed people to connect. And it was really cool as a chief marketing officer to see some of the interactions that were happening on the feed, because that's something that we wouldn't have had if we didn't have a tool like that. Coolleaf also simplifies measuring and improving the employee experience with pulse surveys, rewards, and integrations with your everyday tools. To learn more about Coolleaf and how it can make your work more human, visit coolleaf.com slash try coolleaf. That's C-O-O-L-E-A-F dot com slash try coolleaf to book your free demo today and see how top workplaces use Coolleaf to put their people first and thrive. We are glad to be back with you, Janine, to keep this wonderful conversation going as we shift to topics of mental health and work-life balance as crucial aspects of human experiences at work. I wanted to first just acknowledge how amazing some of your points were in the last conversation about philanthropy standing for the love of humanity and how you really updated all of the things that you were doing uh, from within your organization, from your employee handbook to building a new competency base and equity framework that's rolling out and just ensuring that the behaviors 
that you are talking to your members about are shared within and that are lived out. So I wanted to first just commend you for that wonderful conversation and point that you made. It may, it meant so much to me as a leader. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, one of the things that I'll say about that is just how important it was for us, just as an example, to really take a deep look at our values and our guiding principles as an organization. So that was one of the first things that we did. And I would encourage any organization to really take a deep look at what do you value? What do you stand for? And what are your guiding principles? And if, and if you don't have them, it might be something to consider because it builds a really strong foundation. I couldn't agree more. And I know that you've actually rolled out the equity framework uh, over the last few years, and that's already making a fundamental difference. I'd love to, to understand how Philanthropy Southeast prioritizes the well-being of its staff to create a supportive culture in this world where mental health is such a big hot topic right now. And could you maybe share with us some initiatives and practices that contribute to that, that healthy work environment? Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for that question. Well, first of all, I will say that um, as a leader, I do consider um, my staff and my team, um, our team, um, our greatest asset. And I'm not just saying that. I feel very strongly about that. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the years, now almost 33 years, um, in philanthropy and or serving it, I've seen great leadership. I've seen very bad examples of leadership. And what I've tried to do as I came into the role of being a CEO is take the very best of everything that I've learned and, um, apply, and apply that um, to the best of my ability. And one of the things that I think is really important is not to see vulnerability as a weakness, but rather a strength, um, and to be very open and honest in communication at all times, and to lead with integrity. And, you know, trust is kind of that foundational piece that you cannot violate. It has to be there. And if people see that you're willing to walk that talk, they will walk with you and they will give you everything. And, and I, I can testify that that is exactly what happens. We've got an extraordinary team who's willing to go above and beyond at times when I'm saying, please <laughs> slow down, take care of yourself, take care of your family. Um, it's just really important. Um, and, and I'm, very pet friendly and very child friendly myself. So, you know, over the years, if folks have needed to, <clears throat> excuse me, bring their ch child to work or their toddler or their elementary school children or whatever it is, if they need to do that, um, you know, certainly I would say if you need to stay home, but if they wanted to bring them, um, I have no issue with that. You know, we will lay out the beautiful, you know, um, you know, uh, a blanket and some toys and everybody enjoys um, spending time with with the children. And I've certainly brought even my own granddaughter <laughs> to work. 
um, and everybody enjoys that. So I think that mental health is so important that obviously that's a part of the investment, right? You've got to make sure that you've got policies and processes and benefits that will provide additional support if folks need it, whether it's some type of EAP program, et cetera. You've got to do that. That's just basic, fundamental. But also in terms of how you lead and interact with the staff is really important. So for me and for all the supervisors on my team, we meet with our um, direct reports very regularly. So I meet with folks at least twice a month. And typically those meetings are an hour and a half to two hours. And, you know, we'll use only the time that we need. If they need all of it, we'll use all of it. Um, But I feel like it's really important in terms of having an open communication and an opportunity to share and not be rushed. And and I'm going to be there to listen, whatever it is that they bring. They bring their agendas and they bring um, their concerns Um, They bring kind of what's keeping them up at night. And we talk about all of it. We're not just about business. We're also about family. And so if something's happening with um, one of my team members, you know, whether it's their pet or child, you know, something that's going on with a sick parent, whatever it is, um, folks are very open and, and willing to share that. And that's very helpful to me because now I have a better sense of, you know, I knew something might have been happening, but I didn't know what. And so once, you know, I have that full picture, I can be even more supportive. And then certainly for us, um, you know, I mentioned that one of the things that we're doing is we're taking a look at our entire employee handbook. And so we want to make sure that we're supporting moms and dads, you know, when they're having their children or when they're choosing to adopt children. Um, We want to make sure that we're supporting it, very supportive of that. Um, We want to make sure that folks feel that they have the support that they need in times of bereavement, if they need to be off for any period of time. Um, You know, one of the things that we're looking at going forward is unlimited PTO for that reason. Um, And, you know, we feel that we've got a team that's, you know, highly uh, productive they're high performers. I don't have any issues of trust. Um, I think our environment will lend itself very nicely to unlimited PTO. So that will be new for us, um, assuming the board approves that in September and we don't have any reason to believe that they won't. So those are just a few examples. All of these examples to me really point to a strong sense of inclusive leadership So you're including different styles, different uh, family structures, different challenges, and making space and room for all of it, which is just amazing to me. And of course, Philanthropy Southeast has a credible retention of your team. I mean, some of these folks that you work with now, you've worked with for many years. So let's talk a little bit more about inclusion and specifically around the process of reviewing holidays and creating a more inclusive approach around holidays. And I'd love to know how has that commitment to honoring diverse beliefs and providing additional time off enhanced the employee experience and foster that sense of belonging at the organization? Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that 
that we've done since I arrived is um, also productivity days. So um, between the holidays that were already in place when I came, the new holidays that were added since I arrived, and productivity days that are just a way of recognizing staff for their hard work. And I believe that, you know, as much as it's important to certainly recognize um, my team, you know, every year with compensation and even potential bonuses, um, I think it's just as important to recognize the team with time because time is such a precious thing. And to be able to give the the team back time that they can spend with their families is is a great gift. And, uh, and I'm always um, very pleased to be able to do that. And so whether it's, you know, days following our annual meeting, um, where I typically give the staff several days following that, or if it's days um, that are connected to uh, board meetings, you know, as soon as the board meeting ends, then typically I'll give the staff a, either a day or two days that they can um, take following that. Just different um, experiences that we're having where I know that folks have worked really hard. They've had to kind of burn the candle at both ends to get it done. I want to make sure that we give them back that time. But with holidays, um, you know, one of the things that we're doing, which is, again, coming in this uh, new employee handbook that we're kind of, you know, revising, if you will, um, we know that we can't acknowledge every single holiday, and we have a lot of them that we do acknowledge. But we want to make sure that we make room for um, the different, you know, religions and, you know, spiritual experiences that folks want to have as well. And so um, we're going to be giving uh, time that folks can take themselves for those particular experiences that they want to have um, for their families. Um, so there, that will be a new addition as well. Um, but yeah, we've, we've looked at a lot of different holidays and certainly um, Juneteenth, I think maybe two years ago was one of the new holidays that we added as well. Um, but we have a lot of time that we give for, for example, currently our PTO um, policy does allow folks to carry over about 160 hours, which is also very generous. Um, but we want to make sure that people take their time. We don't necessarily want them to feel compelled to carry it over, but if they needed to, they're not going to lose up to 160 hours. So between the PTO, the holidays, the additional productivity days, um, you can see that for our organization, time is is a very precious thing. I love that we're getting into the tactical, like everything that you're doing within your employee handbook, because I think that's what all of us people experience leaders grapple with within our organizations. It's like, okay, how do we make this practical? What are the, the steps that we can take that a board would approve and that we can uh, do to make a more inclusive culture? So hearing that is is super helpful. And, and what I hear through that is that it has required a lot of intention by you and, and your leadership team to really reflect a broader vision for the organization, which 
also reminds me of the fact that you changed your name, you know, like why go through all that unless there's a really good reason uh, to change your name. So can you elaborate on the motivations behind the name change to Philanthropy Southeast and how it aligns with the goal of creating a bigger tent and ensuring diverse participation in philanthropic work? Yes. Well, it's so interesting because it really begins with our equity journey. And, you know, when we started the equity journey in kind of late 2016, early 2017, and answered those questions around what do we stand for? What are we willing to fight for? um, You know, we began the journey with uh, the uh, guiding principles and the values. Um, We, of course, went through a whole series of processes, including traveling around the region, um, spending time in places like Memphis, Tennessee, and Montgomery, Alabama, and even Jackson, Mississippi, among other places, and spending time with members in those places, as well as people in the communities, and hearing from them as we, you know, began to develop the framework. Um, And one of the things that we realized was, Uh, somewhere along the journey that we really probably needed to rethink our whole kind of brand, if you will. And so we engaged uh, a firm that was deeply committed to equity um, uh, and began that part of the journey. And within that, um, we started really taking a deep look at who are we as an organization and how does the brand speak to who we are? And, and then kind of emerging out of that was this opportunity to think about changing the name. Um, we didn't know that we were going to change the name. In fact, you know, I'd been the president, you know, at that time for, you know, gosh, I'm going into my 12th year now. So this was just a, a couple of years ago. And I was a little hesitant about the idea of changing the name um, only because I, you know, we had surveyed members, we had gotten their opinions. Um, There had been a few members that really felt strongly that the name was one that we'd had for over 50 years. So why change it? But as we continued to really reflect on it and speak with members and surveyed members again with our, um, our survey process, Um, we noticed that there were a lot more members that were open to it, excuse me. And so we, um, we thought a lot about where we were in this journey and we felt very strongly that, you know, we wanted a bigger tent. We wanted to address what will philanthropy look like in the future, not just today. And, you know, um, will it be predominantly foundations you know, what types of philanthropies are already emerging. And we realize there's so many new and different types of philanthropies that are already emerging. There's LLCs, there's, you know, there's um, a lot of new uh, philanthropic players that are coming into the, um, the, the sphere, including giving circles. Um, there's certainly... Uh, even United Ways, that that's a form of philanthropy. There's philanthropic advisors. There's students who are learning and interested in philanthropy. How do we get them involved so that they have an opportunity to engage and learn more? And um, 
So we really started taking a, a deep look at this with our membership committee and started outlining some of the different uh, types of philanthropies that are already out there that we would certainly enjoy having as a part of the membership. And, um, and students are included in that. Philanthropic advisors are included in that. United Ways are included in that. Giving circles. Giving circles provide a much broader way for more diverse communities to participate in philanthropy as well, because the generational wealth is not necessarily there among a lot of people of color to start their own foundations. And so, you know, we certainly have a, a growing diversity of leaders inside of uh, philanthropy. Um, but what about those that are actual donors? Um, so individual donors are a part of it as well. And so now we have uh, gotten all of that approved. We took it through our membership where it had to be reviewed um, for 60 days. And we also um, took it back to the membership in terms of the surveying. We took it to our membership committee. We took it to our executive committee and, um, and we got it approved with our board. So now we are on the path of identifying what the kind of new membership model will look like in terms of pricing, because we want to be realistic and reasonable and we want to embrace these new um, groups. Um, and in the meantime, we're even willing to be flexible around that because we've had some United Ways already approach us and say we'd really love to be members. So we've figured out some pricing in the interim just to make sure that we can bring them in. Um, so yeah, that's we're excited about it. And um, and we may expand that even further. But at this point, we've figured out some different categories of new members that we think will be um, really great contributors and partners and um, players in the philanthropic arena. It's another demonstration, Janine, of your inclusive mindset that let's let's broaden the circle. And I think you did an excellent job of, I guess, what I would call the and, right, honoring the tradition and the history of the organization and bringing it forward to be more expansive. So let's talk a little bit about some of the key programs that Philanthropy Southeast has implemented to advance equity in the region. And how do you engage with members and your stakeholders, which is now an expanded circle, to like assess the progress that they've made in their equity journey? Yeah. So the latter part of the question I do want to come back to because that one is probably one of the bigger challenges, but I think we've figured you know, a little bit of that out. But coming to the former question about programs, um, so one of the things that we decided within our equity framework was that we did not want to, um, as Dr. Martin Luther King would say, we didn't want to thingify it. We didn't want to thingify equity. And by that, we meant we didn't want it to just be a an add-on session at our annual meeting, or we didn't want to just have a one-off program that we offered and then maybe never offered again or a webinar or something like that. So as we were going through our equity journey, it was kind of a, an interesting frustration on the part of, you know, some of our board members who were saying at that time, 
well, what is it? What, you know, give, give me an answer. What is, what is it? What does it look like? And we said, you know, we don't know yet, but through this journey and through all these, you know, opportunities to travel across the region and to hear from members and to hear from people in community and to do some writing and to engage people like Vicki Hudson in helping us with the writing. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out what this is. And we were patient with it. And, you know, what it ended up being is it's a still a work in progress. We have a lot of answers to what the equity framework is, but we also allowed for the opportunity to keep it open for the future so that as new members and new board members and new staff come in, they can continue to build this equity framework out. And so by not thingifying it, we said it's not necessarily, you know, building all new things. It's actually living out equity into everything that we do. So we called it within our strategic plan, kind of equity integration into all of our programming, into all of our language, into all of our communications, into all of our policies. Um, And that's why you're hearing me talk about things like how it's been integrated into our HR policies, our employee handbook, how it's been integrated into our programming, much like our Hall Fellows programs for uh, leadership development, our CEO forum, um, our philanthropy essentials program, which is the 101 for just new and emerging leaders coming into philanthropy. Probably the only truly new program um, that is specifically focused on equity is um, the one that I mentioned previously called Accelerating Equity Learning Collaborative. That is a new program, but literally all of our programs, all of our offerings have uh, the intention of an equity integration. So um, we have something called the Community Foundation Boot Camp, um, which is also really important to us that has an equity integration in it. Um, So all of our programs um, will do that. And I do, you know, want to come back to your other question. Could you ask that question again? Yeah, that how are you engaging with those members and stakeholders to assess the progress that they're making on equity on their journey? Yeah. So, you know, this is the this is probably where we're continuing to adapt and learn. Um, we have created essentially a dashboard. Um, which is a measurement dashboard for our progress. And within that dashboard, it has all the most critical things that we're hopeful that we can accomplish as an organization at the end of each year of our strategic plan. And we had to come up with some measures by which we could try to assess um, equity within our membership without imposing Uh, on the membership, a particular point of view, because also the way that we look at equity is very broad, certainly centering around race, but also including things like disability and including things like LGBTQ and, 
You know, I mean, it's a very broad definition because we believe in equity for all people. And so, you know, we wanted to be sure that we, um, you know, centered ourselves well with our members around, you know, all of uh, how we view equity. And the um, measurement piece uh, with this dashboard does give us an opportunity mostly through our member survey, to hear from members, how are they engaging in equity? What are some of the changes that they're seeing in their communities, in their foundations, in their philanthropies as a result of having been involved with equity? And one of the things that we've learned is that about 82% of our members in the last survey, which would have been 2022, are now communicating that um, equity is a very essential part of their organizational effectiveness and that they are the 82 percent of our members are on the equity journey. Um, some that are very early in their journey and others that are very much more advanced. But it's those kinds of questions that we're asking of the membership that we can then communicate back to our board. And so we're going to continue to look for other ways that we can essentially measure that. Um, but in the meantime, what we have found is that, you know, the storytelling is really powerful. And so we just recently completed a trends report, one that I've shared with you all, and some of your audience may be interested in seeing it as well. And in that trends report, it's the voice of members talking about the equity work that they're doing, talking about, you know, their successes, their failures, their what they see as opportunities um, within uh, the equity space. And so those stories are alive and well within the context of that report. And um, it's a really beautiful report to read and to hear from the voice of members how they view it. So Jeff and I are smiling for a reason, Janine. I mean, first of all, because you've just shared so much incredible wisdom there and hearing 82% of these organizations are on that journey is extremely hopeful in a time where, as you said, things are very divisive and polarized and in some way negative. Hearing that statistic is very hopeful. But we're also smiling because you may not know that you are a huge source of inspiration to us in the sense that when we worked together and you started talking about, you know, not thingifying equity, that was very, very inspiring. And is something that I had a belief that I had held for a long time. And we kind of ended up integrating that into our business where we're helping companies uh, rethink and elevate their all hands meetings to be more equitable. So don't just have the same speakers all that. of the time. Don't have, you know, feature underrepresented groups. Don't thingify it make it in the flow of everything that you do. And you yes. are a big source of that inspiration. So that's why I I'm smiling so much. <laughs> that's great. That's wonderful. So we appreciate yeah. that. I love so hearing much. that storytelling is alive and well in your organization too, because we believe that people will actually, that can effectuate change when you can sit back and hear a firsthand account of the impact that it has in people's lives in addition to the data and measuring your impact and being able to report on that is a really effective Absolutely. blend of uh, strategy and how you're integrating that into growing a sustainable business. And frankly, you know, our businesses have such a powerful platform to change and effectuate the lives of 
uh, all of the people who work with us, for us, our members, our internal and external stakeholders, how we communicate with them and how we include them within our organization. And that's why we have this show to talk specifically to people, experienced leaders or executives who oversee that function, if they're a founder or a leader of a small team. Uh, so if you're speaking to that audience directly and reflecting back on the conversation that we've had in these uh, last couple episodes, what is just one key takeaway that you would want to impart uh, to them? What wisdom would you share in closing? Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that. Um, so I would be remiss if I did not share something about Smurf. I just want to leave the audience with Smurf. And within our equity framework, this is not original to Philanthropy Southeast. I have to give all credit to um, Ambassador James Joseph, who recently passed. He was the first African-American president of the Council on Foundations. Um, and he became the ambassador to South Africa after his tenure at the Council on Foundations um, during Nelson Mandela's um, lifetime. And um, Ambassador Joseph was a prolific speaker and an amazing writer, and he had been in philanthropy for quite a number of years. So a mentor to certainly me and many other leaders in philanthropy, but he coined the idea of Smurf. And Smurf is essentially um, the social capital, the, um, the moral capital, the intellectual capital, the reputational capital, in addition to the financial capital that philanthropy can bring to a change agenda. And so I would just say, you know, certainly to your audience that I think that while he coined that for philanthropy, I think we all can learn from Smurf. Because if we just keep in mind that we have so much more than our money to bring to uh, try to create a solution, that we have more capital that we can bring if we just have the will to do it, the social, the moral, the intellectual, the reputational capital. Sometimes all that's needed is for a powerful philanthropic leader to pick up the phone and get folks in a room in order to uh, present an idea that could change everything. Um, are we willing to use that kind of capital? It's one thing to make a grant. It's another thing to be willing to make that call. It's another thing to be willing to stand on, you know, a moral high ground around an issue or to say, you know what, I'm going to put my reputation on the line for this because that's how much I believe in it. And so I just think we all can learn from, from Smurf. And so I would leave you with that. Thank you so much, Janine, for all of your valuable insights and sharing them with us today. And we will make sure to include more information for listeners to follow you and learn more about Philanthropy Southeast in our show notes. It has been such a privilege having you on the show and learning from your expertise in philanthropy. So thank you so much. Thank you, Vicki. Thank, Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate, appreciate it very you. much. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for joining us for another insightful episode of the People Experience Pulse. We hope the words shared in this episode have inspired you as much as they've inspired us. 
Now the real challenge begins, putting what you've learned into practice. The change you create, no matter how small, could be the spark that ignites an exceptional people experience in your organization and beyond. If you found value in today's conversation, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Your feedback helps us deliver high value content and reach more listeners like you. You can find other inspiring episodes and additional resources at our website, thepxpulse.com. Join our community at thepxpulse.com. Thank you again for joining us on the People Experience Pulse. Until next time, remember, the heartbeat of any organization is its people. Let's make every pulse count. Pulse.